Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Hey, this is Jeff Tate from Queensryche. You're listening to Talking Metal. Mark Striegel, John Astronomy, the Talking Metal Podcast, coming to you from the Silver Spacecraft. I'm Bud Friendly, and now your hosts, Mark and John. Hey, it's John Astronomy. Welcome to episode 342 of Talking Metal. How you doing, Mark? I'm good. How you doing, John? I'm doing pretty well. Hanging out here in Jersey City, New Jersey. Just got back from a frame place where I had my Kissology Awards repaired because the uh, couple of pieces fell off on the inside of the awards and uh, I took them over to a really good frame shop in Jersey City and they repaired them for me. So I'm excited about that. And what was your position on those those DVDs? Uh, I, I know you were you like uh, advisor or something on the Kissology uh, DVDs. I was, yeah, I was listed as the production consultant, and uh, basically, I was involved from the beginning of that project until the very end of the project, and I did everything from you know just you know help decide what video wound up on Kissology, did research to find uh, things about things out about certain other videos and uh, ev- everything from proofreading the liner notes to, you know, all of the stuff that had to do with the video. I was part of that. And uh, it was great. It was such a great project. I, I really, really enjoyed working with both Alex and Roger Coletti, who were the producer and associate producer on the project and everyone else uh, that was part of the Kissology project and even got to work with, you know, Tommy Thayer and uh, some of the people involved with the Kiss Camp. So that was a, a good, uh, great, great opportunity for me. And I did that, uh, you know, a couple of years back, a few years back. And how many how many Kissologies were there? I I'm ashamed to admit I only have the second one, but there were three of them. There were three three different Kissologies. Yeah, the first one really focused on on the early years. Uh, uh, 1970, you know what, I, I'd have to double check even if it starts in 73 or 74 uh, into like maybe like 1978. And then there was like a middle years one 
and then there was one uh, that uh, started with some of the non-makeup stuff and then went into the Kiss Reunion and uh, Psycho Circus Tour and uh, maybe even into the Farewell Tour. I think it only went to 2000 where um, – yeah, it went to uh, the year 2000. So it was good. I, at the time I did these, I, I knew exactly what was on them. But like I said, it happened a few years ago. So I have to uh, take a look myself. Uh, you know, believe it or not, as, as much of a, a Kiss fan uh, as I am and working with Ace, uh, sometimes the, the details can get a little confusing, even for the, uh, you know, insane, uh, you know, Kiss nut like I am. And, uh, you know, that's what sometimes I used to think it was a little funny or not funny, but interesting when when sometimes the Kiss members would make mistakes on saying a certain song came from a certain album. But right. you know, now I understand why, like just when you've had a when you have a career like theirs for, for that spans so many years and you've done so many different things, sometimes you, you make a little mistake and you have to just verify uh, what you want to say about something like that. But, yeah, Kissology 3 went to the year 2000. Hmm. Interesting. Anyways, let's get into a little kiss right now, and let's uh, tell the listeners who's who's on the show today. We have the one and only Jeff Tate, who called in for an interview uh, a couple weeks ago, and we're going to get that to you today in today's episode. He great, is starring great. in a movie called The Burning More Incident, which uh, is interesting. I've seen the movie. Uh, it's not out yet, but I enjoyed watching it and thought Jeff did a great job with it. Absolutely. I haven't seen it yet. I'm looking forward to seeing it. And our good friend, John Williams, who was a guy that we both know back from the MTV Headbangers Ball days, not when we were involved with the Headbangers Ball, but when we both worked at MTV in the early days. Yes, he uh, it's basically kind of like his movie. He directed it and wrote it and is even in the movie. So uh, that's uh, that's John Williams. And he is the one who set up the interview. So Again, we will hear from Jeff Tate, and we will discuss this movie with him in a bit. But right now, let's get into a little kiss. This is Thou Shall Not off the Revenge record. Listen, Jack told me I was chosen to kiss the ring on his hand. 
Hey, that was Thou Shalt Not by Kiss from 1991 or Two's Revenge. What year did that come out? Uh, I don't know. I, th- I, yeah, I, I, I want to say 90, 91, but I, I'm not I'm not sure about that. Actually. Yeah, I, it think been it, I think the album came out in 91, and then maybe the, the tour started in later 91. And the coolest thing, I was just talking about this. You took me to the Stabler Arena uh, near Allentown in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and uh, I think it was at Lehigh University, and we saw the opening night of the Revenge Tour. Yeah, which I think they were billing as like a warm-up show or something weird like that. Or was it officially the, the first night? I don't remember. You know what? Really. I think it was kind of a combination of both. I, I think it was like a warm-up show. And you know what sometimes I think happens, is, and no offense to that area of, uh, of the Pennsylvania, but sometimes bands will you know, start a tour in, in kind of a smaller market and kind of work a little bit of the the kinks out, and then you know the, they don't want to start it in you know Madison Square Garden where all the reviewers and everybody are going to be right. in case you know until they get it really down pat. So I think that's why they started uh, at the Stabler Arena in in PA. Yeah. And I remember they didn't have a Kiss logo, and I was uh, I was a little uh, surprised by that. And then later on in the tour. At the end of the show, uh, there was like a big backdrop that was a Kiss logo. So that was that was an interesting thing. And at that Stabler Arena show, there was no Kiss logo. Definitely a, a, such an interesting band, Kiss. Uh, you know, there's some bands who consistently just have the same sound album after album and same look for that matter. Kiss is just a, a band that's had so many different versions of it through the years. And, and it, sometimes it makes me sad that people only think of that makeup version of kiss you know which is uh it you know today become kind of the definitive kiss look right. um but there was just so many different looks and, and sounds out of that band uh just yeah. so diverse what? through the years and revenge is a, is a good example of that um definitely some some of their heaviest numbers i think on that record songs like unholy <laughs> and stuff like that uh, and uh great great record revenge yeah, no doubt about it. I really like that record. And and you guys, you know, all of the Talking Metal listeners know that I, I work with Ace and, you know, and Ace has always been my favorite member of KISS. But, the you know, having said that, I was always a fan of uh, all of the different incarnations of the group. And I really did like a lot of the stuff that was uh, happening in the non-makeup era of KISS. And I, I mean, I liked all of the stuff, I have to say. And it was great. I mean, I, I enjoyed seeing KISS. Uh, for the first time on the Lick It Up tour. And then I, I saw him basically on every tour since then and, uh, you know, multiple times. And uh, I had some really great memories, as did you, because we saw Kiss a bunch of times during that time period. Yeah, definitely. I've seen them so many times during the years and have uh, always always had a great time seeing Kiss live. Uh, let's get into a little Queensryche right now. This is uh, Jeff Tate, Ronnie James Dio off of Operation Mindcrime 2. And we'll come back and talk some more metal here on Talking Metal. You think you're smart inventive, but you figured out my game. Pride is a handy substitute when you've got only yourself to blame. All my dreams are realized while you were indisposed. While you spent 18 years watching TV. Watch my fortune grow
was Queensryche with special guest Ronnie James Dio, the late, great Ronnie James Dio from Operation Mindcrime. Uh, great, great record. And, uh, you know, I've always, as you know, been a fan of Queensryche. Saw them early, early on, probably 84, the first time I saw them. They didn't even have a full-length record out at the point. They were touring for the EP, uh, opening for Twisted Sister. So that was a yeah. great show at the Stanley Theater, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which oh. incidentally is the same place I saw the Lick It Up tour. Uh, at that same venue, which was March 4th, 1984. I, I still think, Mark, that I am uh, uh, like Rain Man or something because I can remember these like obscure details of things that I've done in the past. Yeah, I, I, I can't off the top of my head tell you how many times I've seen Queensryche, although I will tell you it, it hasn't been more than probably four. Uh, but uh, last time I saw him, I think it was with Dokken down at with the Starland Ballroom down there in, in oh, Jersey. Oh, that's cool. Right? That yeah, like- I didn't. I don't think I've. Seen, I saw that show. I saw them last at the Hard Rock Cafe in New York. They were playing for a special biker benefit that was going on. Right, and that was a, you know probably at least five or about five years back. Yeah, I think the time before that probably would have been at the. I want to say the beacon. I think they performed Operation Mindcrime in its entirety, and that's great. And introduced some of the songs off of uh, Operation Mindcrime Two at that particular concert. That was before the Operation Mindcrime Two was out. But such a great band, and we're going to hear from Jeff Tate shortly. Uh, let, let's get into a little more music right now. This is Tears of a Dragon by Bruce Dickinson. For too long now, there were secrets in my mind. For too long now. There were things I should have said In the darkness I was stumbling for the door To find a reason To find the time, the place, the hour Waiting for the winter sun 
That was Tears of a Dragon by Bruce Dickinson. I've always liked Bruce, uh, and I've always been a Maiden a fan, and also a fan of the stuff he did when he was not a member of Iron Maiden. Yeah, definitely. Randy Rhodes last Saturday marked his, I, I believe, 20, 29 year anniversary of his death. I mean, one wow. of the greatest uh, guitar players ever out, you know, in rock, period. No and, doubt. And uh, just just such a, a sad thing. I, I've thought a lot about Randy the uh, the last year, especially since uh, reading both Ozzy's book and Rudy Sarzo's book. Such a tragic loss. And, yeah, no, and it absolutely is. I lives can remember on to this day. seeing it's the just newspaper uh, right after that happened. As I can remember seeing the newspaper reporting Cliff Burton's uh, said, you know, right. unfortunate death as well. And, um, you know, those those are the things that stick with you. Like, you know, for our parents, uh, the stuff that sticks with them is when, you know, Kennedy was, was uh, you know, assassinated and things like that. But, but I, you know, really – Remember when great musicians like Randy or, or Cliff Burton, uh, you know, tragically passed away. And uh, right now I'm, you know, looking at my um, – just something that I always remember Randy by is that I have a an early 80s, uh, a 1984 uh, Jackson Randy Rhodes student model. And, and for all you listeners, that back when, when they first released the Rhodes models, there, there were two versions. There was uh, – there was one that had a bound neck with the traditional shark fin inlays that you'd normally see on Jackson's. And then there was one with a neck that just had what are called dots on it. And uh, that's the one I have that was called the student model. And what's really neat about this one is that the truss rod cover is <clears throat> is actually gold. You know, it looks gold. It might might be bronze or something, but it, it looks like gold. And it has an RR on it. And the, the very first few Jackson roads that came out – you know, had that. So uh, I'm just happy to have something commemorating Randy Rhodes in my uh, guitar collection. And by the way, all the great songs that you and I wrote together, um, all the guitar parts that I came up with were written on that Rhodes model. Cool. Yeah, I've been throwing a lot of old footage up online of uh, of some of our old performances yeah. on my YouTube page, which is actually linked through uh, markstriegel.net. If you go down, there's some on the link side it's i think it says mark striegel tv i have lots of old performances of john and i through the years uh including um us with marky ramon on stage which is is pretty cool from back in 2005 so you can check that out um i also did post a, a new clip up on the official talking metal youtube page <laughs> youtube.com slash talking metal of emily my wife before we were married actually john and i jamming uh the mob rules. So you can check that out there. Yeah. Emily um, sings that song. Great. And yeah, she does uh, a great we've job had, uh, you know, our, our group, uh, uh, Captain T and astronomy has had Emily, uh, jump up on stage with us a bunch of times. And she always does that song. Great. And because of, you know, I have to say, I always thought mob rules was a cool, cool tune, but I didn't really get into it as much as I am now until we did that together with, with Emily on vocals. So, uh, it is a great, great tune. Definitely. Anyways, let's uh, get into the interview and then we'll come back and wrap things up. A little Queensryche to take us into my conversation with, with Jeff Tate before the storm off the warning record. And we'll hear a little sound sample of that and we'll get right into the interview with Mr. Jeff Tate.
This is Mark Striegel from the Talking Metal Podcast. We have the one and only Jeff Tate on the line. Thanks for joining us again on Talking Metal, Jeff. Nice to be here. So I had the privilege of watching a film recently, which is not yet out. It's called The Burning Moore Incident, and you are one of the stars in it. You play a character named James Parrish. Let's just talk about how you actually got involved in doing this film. Uh, wow. Uh, mostly through uh, meeting a couple guys who were writers, uh, Jim and John, and uh, we got talking, and uh, they asked me to uh, audition for it. So I did, which was uh, kind of an interesting experience. I've never done anything like that before. Um, kind of, uh, you know, you're all by yourself with uh, the writer and a camera, and you're uh, just playing the part. You know, kind of unnerving, actually. <laughs> Right. No or anything like that. So uh, it was kind of fun, but very challenging, I thought. And uh, so I guess they liked what I did. And, uh, I got the gig. So this isn't something you've thought about as far as acting goes. This isn't something you've wanted to do in the past, or is it? Is it something you kind of always thought, hey, maybe someday I'll try that? You know, it's one of those doors that opens in your life, and you just step through and see what happens. Yeah. You know? Right. Now, this movie kind of reminded me of, it had similarities, let's say, between like uh, to a Blair Witch or a Paranormal Activity with the almost reality vibe that it had. How does, how does this film differ from, say, Blair Witch or Paranormal Activity? Well, um, I think this one is a lot more um, direct in your face uh, in, in respect to the brutality that occurs during the film, um, whereas Blair Witch and Paranormal sort of just were unnerved to the entire thing because you didn't see what was happening or you know, it was all kind of suggested, you know, or And uh, Bernie Moore is um, very realistic and uh, just incredibly violent and brutal. So, major differences there, but uh, similarities are you know, the, the style of filmmaking where it's uh, uh, kind of like guerrilla filmmaking. You know, you do everything very fast and not a lot of takes and kind of put it together as you go, which uh, was uh, really exciting to work in that kind of atmosphere where you're just you know, brainstorming the entire time. Cool. And the the film is, the setting in the film is, I guess, supposedly Bayside, Queens. Is that actually where you shot your stuff? 
or was it somewhere else and you just got it was called Bayside Queens in the film? No, no, it was an um, actual um, uh, army base. Oh, okay. And uh, that uh, I think it decommissioned the building we were in was um, sort of Victorian era uh, buildings and uh, military style buildings. And the particular one we were in was just dilapidated, and there were you know, holes in the ceiling and the roofs, and uh, that happened to be winter, and it was snowing and raining. All there, so everything was getting flooded, and there were, you know, lots of dampness in the air, and it was cold, really cold. It was probably in the, like I say, 20s, 30s, uh, constantly while we were there. So, uh, yeah, pretty miserable conditions, actually, but I think it, it worked really well for the film to translate, you know. Visually. Definitely. And and was it actually in the Long Island, Queens, New York area somewhere? Yeah, that's right. That's Bayside Queens, yeah. Oh, okay. So it was actually Bayside Queens. Cool. And how about getting into character? Was there anything you had to go through to kind of get into the uh, the mindset of John Parrish? Well, you know, uh, I, I worked really closely with uh, the writers, uh, Jim and John on this, and uh, they were, you know, pretty defined as to what they wanted uh, the character to be like, and really gave me a pretty in-depth, you know, sort of uh, uh, description of him and his, uh, his look, his mindset, that kind of thing. So uh, I just kind of took all their input and uh, put it together in my own, you know, my own interpretation of that. So. Uh, you know, once you get the costume on, <laughs> that really kind of helps put you in that frame of mind. And also being in that particular location, it, it, it was creepy all the time while we were on set. The place was creepy, the, what we were wearing, the, the way we were working. They had a, one room, which was uh, sort of like the catering room, I, I would say. It became kind of the only place everybody hung out because it was the only place for the cater. And uh, those were they kind of camped on, you know, uh, camp chairs and things like that, sitting around like the heater trying to stay warm, you know, waiting for their uh, their chance at uh, on a set, you know, so I don't know, that, all those things kind of contributed to kind of putting, you know, me definitely in the frame of mind of uh, John Parrish. Right. Now, you've mentioned John, uh, John Williams, that is the director of the film a couple times, and I know John also... Um, did some Queensryche videos for you guys. Where where did you first meet John? John Williams. Uh, I think I met him at MTV years ago. That's the first time we met. And he he did, uh, I think he produced shows that like Headbangers Ball and maybe 120 Minutes or something like that. So Yeah, he goes way back. Yeah. Now, you're doing some music possibly for the film. Is there a song you're writing for the film? Is it going to be a solo tune or is it a Queensryche song that will be used in the film? Yeah, it's a song that uh, uh, we wrote for the the, uh, the film called "I Take You," and it's uh, sort of a uh, I guess sort of a uh, an audio description of uh, Parrish's character. I guess. That's how I describe it. Right. And is it is it a Jeff Tate solo number or is it Queensryche that's doing the song? Uh, you know, we have two versions of it, so I don't know which one we're going to use yet. As far as acting goes in general, who are some of your favorite actors? Um, oh, gosh, there's 
quite a few, actually. Uh, I like Edward Norton quite a bit. Cool. He's done. I think he's really uh, becoming a fine actor. Um, <clears throat> uh, who's that man name? There's just so many. <laughs> oh, God. Do you, do you like... I haven't really thought about it much. Do you like the classics like Brando and guys like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Brando, of course. He's a legend, you know, De Niro and, and, uh, and Brando and those guys. Yeah, that's a whole different league of actors, you know? Yeah, definitely. Now, when you were shooting long hours you guys were on set? I know you said it was it was really cold, but I, I know sometimes you hear that these these shoots just go on and on and on. Yeah, it was very long hours. It was, you know, because you had to get it done, stay on budget and that kind of thing. So, yeah, you had to work around the clock. And, uh, you know, there was activity going on uh, 24 hours on set. The real you know, get-it-done kind of thing. Which is great because it just keeps the energy up, you know, and everybody's just, you know, uh, working hours, slamming coffee, keeping it going. So it's a great vibe. Cool. And is there any? Has anything been said about an actual release date when when your your fans might actually be able to see this uh, film? You know, I don't know anything about that. Actually, that's that's uh, the uh, part of the night people that are handling that. So uh, I can't I can't give you any real you know definitive information on that. Okay. And on the Queensrÿche front, you guys are still on uh, target for a new album later this year, correct? Yeah, actually, been working on it steadily here. We're just kind of in the uh, final stages of it now, and uh, looking forward to getting that done. It's a really long record, but uh, really interesting, different music and. Uh, uh, I think um, I'm really excited for people to hear it because it's, uh, it's a, another kind of step in a different direction for us, I think. Really? So some new ground as far as musical sounds and styles go on this record? Uh, yeah, yeah, we've been experimenting a lot. You know, with, uh, you know just different musical uh, brush strokes, <laughs> I'd say. Right. You know, kind of pushing, pushing the envelope a little bit on everybody's performance end and... Uh, pushing them outside of comfortable ground and, you know, trying to do some different stuff. Which is, uh, you know, kind of what got us into making records in the first place was, you know, really the experimental side of, uh, of um, painting the audio picture, you know. Um, and everybody still shares that kind of, um, you know, um, way of thinking, which is uh, pretty phenomenal when you think of the bunch of guys hanging out together for 30 years. <laughs> right. So we still have some sort of, you know, something to say, you know. Cool. Well, I definitely look forward to hearing that. And uh, were, is there an actual release date set at this point? Um, no, I don't. Not that I know of. Not a hard release. But I, I think sometime in the, in the summer. Okay, great. Great. And I know you guys at some point soon are going out on the road in, I believe, Europe, right, with Judas Priest? Yeah, in July. Yep. Excellent. Any thoughts on Judas Priest's fairly recent announcement that this uh, is kind of the beginning of the end for them and they're going to be wrapping things up as far as Judas Priest goes? 
uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm kind of surprised they're they're thinking in that in that direction. I thought they were uh, kind of I don't know firing on all systems. You know, last time we played with them, which uh, was uh, last year sometime, I think. Right. Yeah, kind of interesting news. You know, Queensrÿche is obviously younger than Judas Priest, but do you envision a day when you guys will call it quits, or is this something you're you're in for life? You know, I can't imagine stopping. <laughs> I don't know what I what I do with myself. <laughs> I know, I know there's a lot of a lot of bands that also you know they um, they cry wolf with the with the retirement plans. They they say they're going to do it, and then they they don't know what to do with themselves, just like you said. So. Um, yeah, we look come f- back for more. Exactly. Yeah, now, t- then, they have to figure, then they have to figure out a way of getting over the whole advertisement of the last tour. <laughs> right. <laughs> How do you come back? Well, I mean, the the Who. I remember their first retirement tour back in 1982, and here we are, and they're still going. You know, so it's crazy. Tell I us. Hope some- they never stop. The Who? I, yeah. I think, yeah, I, I just can't. Uh, Imagine the world without music of who, you know, any band anymore. I think, uh, gosh, why stop? You know, well, I guess the the good reason to stop is that you still have anything to say, you know. You can't put something together at the moment, so give yourself a break. You don't call it the end. Maybe step aside for a bit, you know, and kind of get your uh, battery charged a little bit. What are your thoughts of uh, you know a band like the Who, where where really it's just Townsend and and, and Daltrey left, and there's been you know so many uh, other players in and out of that band. Uh, do you, do you still and Thin Lizzy's another example where there's really almost nobody left but the drummer anymore, and they're still calling it Thin Lizzy. Um, you know, with with Queensrÿche, you guys still have pretty much the core there. Of course, Chris DeGarmo is, is no longer with you guys, but you're still Queensryche for all intensive purposes. What what are your thoughts on bands that continue that brand going when they don't really have many, if any, of the original members in the group? Well, I think that uh, if you're writing songs that people want to hear, then you're doing the right thing, no matter what you call it. I was recently reading that you have your own wine. How did how did you get into the, that whole place making well, your own well, wine? I'm a wine fan. I'm a wine fan, so it, uh, I drink a lot of wine, and this is a great way to drink wine for free. <laughs> and, no, and, not really. I, I, I uh, I'm a wine fan, definitely, and a collector. Right. And, um, over the years, I've just uh, learned a lot about it and met a lot of people and in the industry. And um, uh, quite a few years ago, I met uh, my partner, Holly Turner, and her husband, Andy. And uh, we hit it off and became friends. And over the years of uh, trying different wine and uh, tasting different places in, in the world, we, uh, we thought one night after drinking a lot that it would be fun to make a, a wine for me. You know, uh, something that uh, I would like, something that I um, would uh, feel comfortable putting my name on, you know. So we uh, started scheming and uh, thinking of how we do it and uh, trying different blends of different things and 
experimenting until we found what we liked and uh, launched it. And uh, what a fun endeavor it's been. It's just been such a, it's a great, it's a great industry, really, to be a part of. And uh, a lot of really passionate people who uh, you know, feel strongly about what, what it is they do and what they're producing. And uh, I like being on that kind of energy of uh, people that are creative and, and coming at it from a, a, a real positive standpoint, you know. And uh, I've just been having a ball doing it. And where can the uh, Talking Metal listeners find Jeff Tate wine? Is there somewhere online they can go to order it, or is it in certain stores? Uh, it has been in certain stores. Uh, the last, my, I don't make much, <clears throat> so uh, there's not a lot to go around. And it usually sells out within the first couple months, so it doesn't really, uh, like, I can't really put it in stores everywhere, you know? But... Um, if you want to go to uh, the website of the, uh, the winery, which is called uh, threeriverswinery.com, uh, you can purchase uh, anything that's the wine there. They have it, and they can uh, ship it to you. Great. Well, we will link that through today's show notes on talkingmetal.com, and we will also link burningmoreincident.com, which is the name of the movie that you are a part of uh, you play the part of john Parrish, and also you do the the vo which is uh which is pretty cool so um there's a, a spoken track that jeff does um throughout i guess i'm the narrator <laughs> narrator thank you thank you narrator yeah. and uh, we're looking forward to seeing this movie uh, maybe in the theaters or on dvd sometime soon uh, i'm sure john williams will let us know when when uh, it can uh be seen, and we will update you guys, the Talking Metal listeners, that is, with that info. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us on Talking Metal. We look forward to the new Queensryche record later this year, too. Thank you. Enjoyed myself.
was Empire by Queensryche. Uh, and what a great interview you did with Jeff Tate. Uh, thanks again for doing that, Mark. Yeah, the sound quality of it wasn't as, as good as I feel it should have been. I'm not sure why, but I was uh, was having a hard time hearing Jeff on, on his cell phone that he called in with. But um, yeah, hopefully I'm going to, when, when I mix this episode, I'm really going to try to crank him up so you guys can hear him okay. So hopefully right. it's not that bad for you guys. But the Burning More incident, not out yet, of course, but you can check out a trailer of it, which I'm going to actually, it's on YouTube. I'm going to actually put it up on markstriegel.net because it's one of the few computer things I know how to do is uh, link YouTube uh, videos through my blog. So for a trailer of the Burning More incident, go to markstriegel.net today. It'll be up there. Uh, and uh, also check out burningmoreincident.com. And our thanks to John Williams, a former MTV employee, for uh, hooking up that interview. And I hung out with Rick Ernst the other night, uh, who was actually on Talking Metal when he was promoting his film Get Thrashed, another ex-Headbangers Ball guy from back in the day. And we were talking about all things metal, and he works over at Roadrunner now, which coincidentally is where the new Queensryche will be uh or who will actually release the new Queensryche. So um, good stuff. And um, Rick's going to come on the podcast sometime and talk some metal with us. Yeah, Rick has always been one of my best friends at, at MTV Networks. Uh, you know, we knew him, both of us, way back when. And uh, and then through the years, I had worked with Rick on different things. He produced a show called Rocks Off that I was on uh, f- technically five times, four times as like a, an actual show guest to, uh, twice with Kid Rock and twice with Dickie Barrett from the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones and this great musician called Guitar Pete, uh, Matt Pinfield, Jesse Camp, 
And then I was on once with, believe it or not, Motley Crue, and uh, but I, I wasn't like a special guest. I just was one of the random people who were there. But the the notable thing, is, and I gotta try to find this on tape. I'm sure somewhere I have it. But I was actually on stage with the band during their performance. Uh, I remember even I think like shaking hands with Tommy Lee during the middle of a song or at the end of a song or something, and uh, and then Jesse Camp the the. BJ, who was the host at the time, poured like a bottle of water on my head or something. So it was pretty funny. We had a blast. Nice. Uh, Tommy Lee, by the way, has his own television show coming to the Sci-Fi channel. My former employee, I've uh, now quit Sci-Fi. If you haven't heard, you can get all the details on the Mark Striegel podcast. I'm not going to bore you with those here. But um, yeah, I'm I'm out of Sci-Fi, but Tommy Lee is in. How about that? He is doing his own show for Sci-Fi. And I believe I was the first to release that information on our Twitter account the other day, being that I don't right. work for sci-fi anymore. Uh, I didn't really care if it ticked them off, but um, <laughs> I, I don't I don't know that it did. And at this point, it's probably in the press officially because uh, they were trying to keep that announcement for their upfront, which I believe is like happening this Monday, which will probably be after the fact you guys after the point you guys are listening to this this uh, podcast so uh yeah there you go sci-fi and tommy lee no more spaceships on on sci-fi just tommy lee and cooking shows so there you (laughs) there you go yeah the channels uh yeah there's a lot of wacky stuff on television now and uh you know i don't know a lot of weird ones i'm gonna let you go but um let's uh end with little wasp how about that Excellent. I love Wasp. I had the opportunity to see Wasp in 1985, opening for Kiss on the Animalized tour, I would say. Yeah. I've I've never seen Wasp in concert. I've never seen him in concert. Never. Yeah, they were great. There was a, for all you guys who, you know, it's probably on YouTube right now, but uh, I had a beta video of a show uh, that they did at the, I I pronounce it Lyceum, maybe it's Lyceum or something like that, but it's in in England. And uh, it was just great. The the early Wasp, uh, I mean, and late Wasp, late, you know, later Wasp was also great. And of course you guys know that, you know, we did that song, The Real Me, we covered Wasp covering uh, The Who. And uh, I've just been a fan of them, but I, I especially was a fan of the, very, very early Wasp, and I, I just think they were one of the greatest bands that were out at the time. And, you know, I did get to see them in concert opening for Kiss, and they were just great. I've always been a fan of Blackie, and I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, Ace was was really good friends with Blackie, whose real name is Steve, you know, back in his, you know, childhood or teenage years. So that was one of his good friends. Cool. And Blackie at one point played in a later incarnation of the new york dolls not the original one but i i think when david i think david johansson was still continuing that band after a lot of the original guys left like probably in the later 70s yeah i think mm-hmm. uh blackie wallace was briefly in that band i think as a guitar player not as a bassist but oh, he okay. didn't he right. jump back and forth i think in wasp between guitar yeah and bass. in wasp like when when i first you know saw and heard of wasp blackie was playing bass and then then johnny rod came in from you know king cobra fame and uh he took over bass and then blackie went to guitar and i think at this point he's probably playing guitar right 
I have no clue. <laughs> really, yeah, no. I think, but yeah, I think he's back on guitar again. Uh, interesting. Great songwriter, nonetheless. This is I'm the One by Wasp. Guys, take care, and we will check you out soon on another edition of Talking Metal. I really wanted to start a podcast with this song because it feels like a an intro song, but um didn't didn't really happen. So let's uh and I definitely want to play it on this episode. So this is again I'm the one by Wasp. Go buy this on iTunes. Go to talkingmetal.com and Buy the music that you've heard on today's episode. We'll have a little link there. It'll say, you know, buy Queensryche on iTunes. You click on that. It, it will open your iTunes. You can download the Queensryche songs that you heard. You can download a bunch of other stuff once you've had that uh, link open your iTunes. And that we get little kickbacks off of that. And uh, that's nice uh, just to get like a 2 $3 check every month feel like you guys are buying me a cup of coffee or something. So it helps uh, cover our costs here. So please use those links and support the artists and support TalkingMetal.com. John and Mark. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for listening. And I also want to send a special thanks to all the great Ace Frehley fans I met down in Tampa, Florida, and also in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. You guys are the best. And uh, thanks again, everybody. I'm the one by Wasp.
One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.